1: morning and welcome everyone to a live Dharma Sunday for September 1st 2019 Koyo kubosa here so very very glad you joined us oh boy <coughs> you know this past Wednesday every Wednesday morning Adrian goes uh, drives into Fresno about a half an hour drive and goes to the Dharma Center uh, Fresno Dharma Center uh uh, where uh, <coughs> Joyce, our sister in law, teaches a Tai Chi class. It's been going for years and years, and they meet every Wednesday morning for an hour, and they, she leads them in the Taiko, I mean, Taiko, uh, Tai Chi uh, routine. And I guess it gets you nice and flexible, and it's quite popular, quite a large group. Then after Tai Chi, Tai Chi's from 9.30 to uh, 10.30. And then they leisurely, uh, small group goes to lunch. Usually, uh, <coughs> Joyce and Adrian and uh, some of the, uh, our cousins, Susan, Joy, and other uh, relatives by marriage, uh, nice little group, they, they try different restaurants for lunch. And uh, it so happened that I, I accompanied them last Wednesday, and we went to uh, the Nami restaurant, which is a, a teppanyaki restaurant, pretty new one, pretty nice, large restaurant in Fresno. And uh, teppanyaki uh, is where you sit around a, a, a meadow grill, and then the cook comes and puts on a show. You order your food and uh, cooks it right in front of you, okay? And and they're trained to be entertainers too. Um, yeah, this guy, you know, they're very colorful, charisma and personality, and they and they do all these uh, things like, uh, of course, they're bantering back and forth with everybody and. Uh, he would get uh, his spatula, metal spatula, and he'd be bouncing an egg, raw egg, up and down on his spatula. Then he would throw it up a little bit higher in the air, then he'd turn his spatula sideways, and the egg would come down and crack and stick right on the edge of his spatula. And then he'd crack that egg open and start cooking. And uh, at one time, he chopped up some uh, z- uh, zucchini into small pieces, and he would put one on the end of a of the spatula, and he says, open your mouth. <laughs> and one of us opens our mouth, and he throws it up in the air and goes right in the person's mouth. <laughs> and then, and he was starting to move around like that, around our circle, and it came to me, and I said, no, no, no. And Adrian said, no, 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 you know and uh then later on he you know, he has about uh six uh, uh uh bottles that have different flavorings and sauces in there and he has one that he said oh this is sake anybody want sake and he and he would one lady open her mouth and and he would squeeze the bottle plastic bottle and a stream of sake would go right into her mouth and then he'd draw back the – move back the uh, the bottle so there's a long stream of sake going into her mouth uh i like sake so i thought i open my mouth and and some of the some of the other guests said oh you open up open up your mouth for that huh but not the not the uh zucchini i said ah, and then he did it to me but i was laughing so hot i just spilled it all over my shirt and my fried rice <laughs> but it was good it was good um Food is a tremendous social lubricant uh, gourmet or even just, you know, you're sitting around eating, enjoying the fellowship, sharing life together. Very simple dharma, you know. And it was an interesting lesson by uh, one time I I sponsored uh, at our temple uh, lay talks. Once a month we would line up one of the congregation members to to give a lay talk. And one person, he said, uh, uh <clears throat> he was newly married. And uh when his mom used to prepare uh, a dinner for him that he really liked, he says, hey, this is a keeper, mom. And, you know, and she knows it's his favorite, so she would cook it again and again, you know. His favorite recipe. So when his wife cooked him a dish, and uh, he said, "Oh, I really like this. You know, make sure, make sure uh, that this is a keeper and everything." And she kind of hemmed and hawed, and he says, "Don't, don't you have a recipe for this?" She goes, "Well, not really." And, goes, "Why don't you write everything down, you know, so that you can duplicate it?" And then finally, she said, "Don't you realize that this is a Zen kitchen?" <laughs> You know. Uh, uh and this fellow uh he uh, uh he does body work. He's gonna come visit us I think next month. Um uh, uh that's his business uh, in in the uh suburbs of Chicago. He he's a masseur and a you know uh unique kind of uh, body systems Working uh, uh, different uh, uh, philosophies, techniques, and he said that when he gets invited to give an interfaith talk, he begins with this this first line. He says, uh, "Well, I, I first I want to say that you do know that the Buddha was not a Buddhist." You know that, don't you? And you know that Jesus was not a Christian. (laughs) That's a beautiful intro, isn't it? Um, Also, I often, when speaking at a, a, you know, I'm usually a Christian church first time, and I would always talk about um, what the purpose is I have only had maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes. What's the most useful thing I could share with these people in addition to talking about Buddhism? The first thing I introduced is I say something like, uh, um, <clears throat> when you listen to uh, talk about another religion, uh, what is your attitude? Okay. Now, a long time ago, the attitude was, hey, I want to hear what the enemy has to say. Okay, Uh, but then, you know, a little bit more tolerance and understanding goes by and uh, some time goes by and then then the general attitude moved away from the enemy to more educational, like, well, let's be open and hear about other, uh, you know, uh, belief systems and this will make me understand my system By compare and contrast, you know, um, better understanding, okay? Intellectual understanding of the belief systems. Uh, And then I think nowadays it's evolved to another stage. It's from enemy to educational to now spiritual. Now, maybe this is my Buddhist perspective, but I say the purpose of my talk uh although I know you don't see me as the enemy, you invited me here and everything, and you might be interested in, in educational value of some new information I provide. But in addition to that, the Buddhist way is is oriented toward people. You see, uh I read one time, I don't know where this where this reference was, but it was about the sociology of religion. Uh, and they categorize religion into two categories. One category is theistic religions, and the other category is humanistic religions. Okay, they said that religions could be kind of categorized into both of these camps. Of course, they would. Their two categories are not mutually exclusive. Okay, and any religion includes both. Okay, want to help people? Humanistic, or Theistic means the emphasis is on the theology, on the beliefs, okay, the word, okay? And and all religions combine both, but emphasize one camp or category, you know, more than another. And clearly, Buddhism is in the humanistic camp. They don't say we got the only truth, and, and uh, you know, you better... <laughs> you know, one time... I heard a Caucasian Buddhist monk uh, at a retreat. You and, know, and he gave a little talk, and he said uh, he he does um, uh, uh, work on the campuses, college campuses, and as a Buddhist, okay, he's a you know dressed in Buddhist. He's a Caucasian Buddhist monk, okay, and he talks to uh, college students. And one student said to him. Hey, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, you're going to burn in hell. And he thought about that. And he said, well, you know, as a Buddhist monk, I think hell is a pretty good place to be because there is a lot of suffering people there that I may be able to help. Wow. Isn't that great? You know, Uh The other last interface story that I want to tell, that it's one of my favorites, is uh, uh, in the Christian tradition, they have uh, Christian mystics, they call them, uh, famous Meister Eckhart. And uh, I read this in other books, not that I'm a scholarly or know anything, know a lot about this stuff. I think it was D.T. Suzuki talked about this, uh, quoted him in, in a book he wrote about Christianity and Buddhism. He said, "Christian mystics like Meister Eckhart is really, he, is really humanistic, or from the Buddhist perspective, we would say, oh, very Buddhistic." Okay. Now we don't have to try to co-op other religions and say, you know, uh, what we have in common necessarily. Okay. They can stand on their own and make their own contributions, right? But he said that Meister Eckhart, as a Christian mystic, Mystic means they put a tremendous emphasis on personal spiritual experience and not just the word. Uh, And so what he said was, you know, if you really love God, just forget about him. Because if you don't think about God too much, then God has more room to work in you. Be ye like lilies of the field, and so forth. Uh, If you have to always be showing that you love God so much and God loves you so much, you're talking about this, uh, you know, it's sort of like a husband who uh, loves his wife, but for some reason he has to tell everybody, hey, I really love my wife. Hey, 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 darling. Hey, honey, I really love you. I really love you. People are going to get suspicious, don't you think? That he has to proclaim his love in an overt, explicit fashion like that? Okay. And you remember the quote I said about Buddha wasn't really a Buddhist. You know That came later, didn't it? He didn't have that label. And the same with Jesus. They were authentic people sharing life together. Ho, ho, ho. Well, okay. I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. This is uh, lay Minister C.J. Dayo, and he was part of our LM9 group, and he lives in Alabama. So let's hear from C.J. Dayo. Good morning. Uh,
0: Since you reminded me of a story I heard of a woman who every day chanted the name of the Buddha for hours. And one morning, somebody at the the front door started calling for her. She ignored the guy and kept chanting, and then after a few minutes, they called her again. And this went on for about 20 or 30 minutes or so. This person at the door just keeps calling her name. And she finally went and said, can't you see I'm kind of busy in here? And the visitor said, yes, but you've been uh, calling Amita's name for, like, years, and you get irritated, when i do it for 20 minutes. Um, yeah. I, it it seems like a very Shin point of view. You know, sometimes it seems down more to faith than actual uh, the letter yeah. of the, <laughs> setting down mind, or chanting the name of the Buddha for you. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Amita's standpoint is going to go, what? Huh? Really? <laughs> um a couple of Sundays back, we had bread offering at the UU here in Camp Hill. Uh, we do this every year. We get together, and we talk about bread for one Sunday because we're UUs, and we like to talk, and we like food. Um, I could have wrote a different Dharma glimpse, but I thought I'd share what I had shared with the UU with y'all this morning because Bright Dawn was a part of my talk at the UU. Um, I made, and this is the actual reading. I made cabbage pancakes. Yes, that is a thing. They're called okonomiyaki in Japanese, and Reverend Koyo can tell you how badly I'm mastering that pronunciation, but it loosely translates as any way you like it. Uh, if you've not had these pancakes, they're savory rather than sweet, and traditionally they're served with sauces like hoisin and sriracha. According to a YouTube video, an episode of The Roads of Suji, The Japanese believe that the cabbage contains enzymes, which help with digestion, making them perfect for fried oily dishes like cabbage pancakes or coleslaw, for that matter. The ones I made were vegan, but you can add a variety of fillings, such as shrimp or minced pork, in addition to the cabbage and other vegetables. I added English peas to mine. Like life, these cabbage pancakes are largely what you choose to make of them. My first experience with Okonomiyaki was in May of 2017 at my induction at Course Gold. Adrian San Kubuse or Adrian Kubuse san Reverend Koyo's wife and a teacher in her own right, albeit under protest sometimes, prepared these the first night we were there. In so many little ways, they seemed to embody my experience with bone, as being both uniquely American and uniquely Japanese. Because on one hand, they were definitely Japanese, uh, foreign. I'd never heard of making a pancake with a cabbage before in my life. On the other hand, they were cabbage and fried and reminded me of southern comfort foods. I mean, like Reverend Coyo just said, I live in Alabama. We would fry water if we could figure out how. Maybe food uh, unites cultures like nothing else can, but I finally remembered dinner that night. The long conversations and the laughter. If anything can bring us together more than food, it is laughter. Every time I make my pancakes, they're a little bit different from Adrian's. For a recipe that's supposed to be somewhat improvised, this is only logical. There is no one authentic version of cabbage pancakes anywhere. In Japan or California or Alabama, they're all authentic cabbage pancakes. I've learned that this is true of us humans as well. Many of us, maybe all of us, feel like something is missing. We're waiting on that moment when everything is going to be okay. It will be like the end of some Disney movie, perhaps with less singing, and we'll all become these authentic versions of ourselves living happily ever after in some new utopia. However, just as we are, we are already these authentic versions of ourselves, warts and scars and all. The closest we can ever come to perfection is in learning to adapt, choosing to grow and giving a chance, and ultimately accepting the simple truth that there's no final version of ourselves, not even our most authentic self, any more than there's a fixed and final version of a cabbage pancake. Um, that was a little talk to you, you, more or less. Um, but Jackie Marbet, also known as Mom, she followed me up. Um, she remembers fondly helping with the cabbage pancakes in the kitchen there with Adrian and Reverend Croyo. Uh Since you and Adrian's son definitely left a mark on her, thank you. Uh, I think we all struggle with those interfaith dialogues you mentioned. Today, too often, religious groups come together with that idea of confronting the enemy. They have the truth with a capitalized T in quotation marks, no less, and the dialogue quickly falls into proselytizing. But you two, um, you and Mom just sitting there talking, enjoying each other's company, you proved how easy it can be when two people who are Unapologetically committed to your own paths. Come together with compassion and mutual respect. Again, thank you and thank you all. <laughs>
1: thank you very much. <laughs> That's really great. Cabbage pancakes. Okonomiyaki. Yeah, when Adrian and I, uh, when we were in Japan, uh, that's when we first learned about this too. You know, street vendors uh, would make this kind of a, a batter, and pancakes usually are sweet. But cabbage pancakes, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're not—they're not like a sweet pancakes. But they're, uh, you know, you put some kind of a like a A1 sauce on them, and, uh, and so forth. It has that kind of taste or flavor. And the translation, as mentioned, Okonomiyaki means, you know, any way you like it or as you like it. This means that there's no recipe. <laughs> you well, they, they sorta of do have the recipe, but uh, you know, chopped up cabbage and little carrots and um uh, but the 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 connotation uh, underlying thing about that translation, uh it could also be translated like, Well, this is something that has your favorite ingredients in it. It's just a—it's like a stew. Okay? You throw together all these things, uh, and you enjoy it. Okay, and if you ever make okonomiyaki yourself, there's no recipe. You sort of get an idea how to do it. You make your batter, then you chop up all these your favorite <laughs> ingredients, put them in the batter, and then you fry it up. Uh, isn't our spiritual path like that too? Every one of us has a unique, favorite, <laughs> you know, special path that we're, our life is unfolding. We don't know sometimes what's around the corner. Each path has, we have to respect all paths because the, each path is unique, absolute value in itself. Man, there's a, there is a teaching in Okonomiyaki. It doesn't just taste good, but... And, you know, you have to taste it yourself. You can't rely on somebody else's taste to 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 uh, uh, satisfy your hunger. Okay? You can't eat the menu. You shouldn't eat the menu, even though it's a beautiful picture, and, whoa, this is my favorite recipe. It's silly to say, oh, you won't eat the recipe. You won't after you carry after you take a a, a a fancy boat across the across the river and you and this boat is so fancy that you then you know you're so attached to it that you carry it on your back as you continue on your journey that would be silly okay it's like when it's, when an adult points to the moon and says oh there's the moon and the young kids look at the finger and not the moon you know This kind of thing, not, you know, we adults do the same thing in a lot of other ways. Uh, And this does relate to humanistic versus theistic religious approaches. Humanistic, you know, of course, scholars, intellectual things is very important. And these scholars contribute a lot, okay? So it's not an either-or or a really judgmental comparison. But when it comes to if – if, if your main interest is your own spiritual growth and your spiritual journey and path, uh, you, something may point to the door, but you got to go through that door. Okay? You can't just stand back and say, hey, <laughs> that beautiful door, look at that. Okay. And one of my favorites quotes from another lay minister who, he tried to understand Buddhism. You know, he was very committed, sincere, and studied Buddhism a lot. But it was a little bit overly intellectual approach. And one of his friends said, hey, Doug, uh, you know, if you went to heaven and there was two doors, one said heaven, and the other door sign said lecture on heaven, you go into the lecture on heaven and uh there's a lesson there right and let me leave you with this cuz when i listened to the to the this morning's glimmer glimpse uh, uh, it reminded me of a of a sufi teaching story sufi is a uh kind of a mystic branch of uh islam and um <clears throat> uh, teaching stories it, it, there was a uh, a monk that was walking along a lake, okay, and uh, he he saw there was a small island in the middle of the lake, and he heard chanting coming from that little a uh, little hut on that island, and it was a chant of uh, a special Sufi chant, and. Uh, the myth was that if you could really chant this uh, sutra correctly, enunciation, everything, you, know, you you go to Sufi heaven. And he heard that this hermit, the voice on the island, was mispronouncing and not doing chanting it right. So he said, "Gee, I, I better." I better help him out. Okay. I know what the correct way is. Even though I had not mastered it and I have not reached, you know, complete mastery of it, at least I know what's correct and incorrect. Okay, when I hear it. So he got in a rowboat, he went out to the island and he went into the little hut and there was a, a you know a humble monk in there and they introduced themselves and then he then this the rowboat man said, you know, I was walking along and I heard you, you know, and, and you weren't pronouncing this, the sacred words correctly. And the hermit said, oh, oh, teach me. How do I do it? And so uh, the rowboat man said the right way. And and the hermit said, oh, da-da-da-da. He goes, yeah, that's it, that's it. You got to chant that until you become one with that, okay? And then he got into his rowboat and was going to go, leave the little island and he was about halfway between the island and the shore and he heard the hermit chanting it correctly but then the hermit's voice started to stammer a little bit and he went back to his, his old incorrect way of chanting and the rowboat monk said to himself oh man this shows the perversity of we humans, we just can't, you know, uh, how hard it is to, you know, uh, do things that lead to uh, Sufi heaven, huh? And then he heard a voice, and the hermit monk came out of his hut, and he was raising his hand, and he said, "Oh, excuse me, excuse me." And he came walk, he he came walking on the water toward the rowboat, and he said. How, how, what was the correct way? That, what was the correct way to chant this? And he was walking on water. Okay, that's that's the that's the so at the end of the story. But you could see the the moral or or what the teaching is here. Your sincerity is more important than the proper slavish uh, attachment to you know rituals and correct way of doing things. Not that those things are unimportant, okay, if they're helpful. But it's when you get so attached that you victimize yourself from the richness and the unique value of your experience. So this is a tricky thing. It sounds maybe simple, but, you know, You can't tell yourself, oh, don't think of pink elephants, you know, sort of like that. you got to have some kind of some repetition so that then it becomes natural, you know. Um, Let me, I was going to close with that, but I got just reminded of another teaching. And the reason I want to end with this one is today we're going to go. Uh, right after the broadcast, we're going to... Adrian and I are going to drive to Palo Alto, about three-hour drive, and uh, our brother-in-law, uh, his first year memorial service. And uh, uh, so uh are going to be uh, conducting that service, and uh, his name is Yuji, and brother-in-law Yuji, married to uh, Adrian's older sister. And uh, in their home there was a little poem uh, next to their home altar. And this little poem, I remember for different reasons. One reason is that the Reverend Imamura, who was a very well-respected uh, Jodo Shinshu minister at the Berkeley Church a long time ago. He's the minister that uh, Adrian and her family grew up with. Okay, And when I was a student at Berkeley, we went to a, uh, a weeknight discussion class at the Imamura home, and and uh, you know, and, he, and Reverend Imamura said that quoted this short passage and said, This is my favorite, you know, poem, Buddhist poem. And so I always remember that too. But the poem has three parts. The first part says, You know, before I studied Buddhism, <laughs> Rivers were rivers, trees were trees, and mountains were mountains. But then, when I started studying Buddhism and started learning everything, oh, trees were not just trees. Rivers were not just rivers, and mountains were not just mountains. And the third part. But then when I mastered the teachings, trees were once again just trees. Rivers were just rivers, and mountains were mountains. Thank you very much for joining today's broadcast, and until next time, let's keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you.